We're getting close to uh, um, the end of our series called The Believer's Family. And uh, as we're looking at the Believer's Family, we spent a lot of time um, on marriage. And now we're moving into a different passage, which is below the passage um, of marriage. And it moves right into raising um, our kids and how kids are supposed to respond to their parents and then how parents are supposed to respond uh, to their kids. And uh, what we want to do is we want to read the passage and then we'll just um, um, see the challenges that God has given us in this word. Ephesians 5, 21, and then move into 6, 4. We are going to take a little bit from Ephesians 5 that will be a repeat, but it needs to be a repeat before we go into 6, 4. Submit to, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is a first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. When it comes to uh, raising our children, did you know that there's not a single example in the Bible that is uh, a good example in regards to raising our children? I mean, you might even look at, you know, probably the best mom that would be in the world would be, you know, Mary, you know, Jesus' mother. You know, um, she even has a bad example. I mean, they went to Jerusalem, and as they went to Jerusalem for the Passover, she was heading home, and it almost looks like days later, she's, she looks at her husband and say, have you seen Jesus? And it's like, Jesus, where's Jesus? Oh, we left him in town, and they had to go back and go back and pick him up. I mean, there's not a great example in regards to parenting. But here we have a verse that gives a structure of just a handful of words. And whenever you get these handful of words, you definitely want your, your ears to be listening. Because if you have a handful, the handful is always enough. The handful is enough to say, what is being said here? And then I want to make it a base to be leaning on. Whatever's said, then I can make it a base to be leaning on. This passage in particular, and I'm talking about all the way to the top that we've already been working through, Ephesians 5.21, clear to 6.4, um, is known as the household code, the household code. Martin Luther is the one that kind of um, penned that phrase, coined that phrase, and, and he says this is just a, a code of what the household is supposed to look like. And, uh, and then you'll see at the top, you know, submit, the household code would be, you know, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then you hear the words children obey, which would be the nether code. And then it would be children honor your father and mother, which is another part of the code. And then it goes to parents, which do not exasperate. And then it would be train, and then it would be instruct. So this is a household structure code in a perfect situation of what it should look, look like and that we should specifically lean on. So we're going to go through this household code and unfold it. This is a review from the top of parents. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. This is talking about the husband and the wife. What are they supposed to do? Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now this is the review that we talked about multiple weeks ago, but it's a foundation of the household code. Submit to who? One another. Submit to each other. What does that word mean? It, it, it means and looks like the word defer. I live to make you alive. 
In other words, you first. And then the wife says, no, you first. Then you, you say, no, you first. And, and as you're looking at you first, you first, you first, as we're living for each other, you sit there and you argue about it. Because you always have to have a good argument that's in a marriage or a relationship. But that's what it is, is I exist to make you strong. I exist to make you alive. I will lay down my life so you can live. Your needs will even take priority of my needs. Your desires take priority of my desires even as we're working together in this marriage relationship. So that's what submit to one another means. And then it moves to wives submit to your husbands. And then it says husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church means that you you die. In other words, that means you even take it up a degree, submission up to agree. And you say, this is a priority. I will lay down my life to make sure that you live. What does that look like? This last week, I had to practically lay down my life so my wife could live. I mean, it was it was pretty close anyway. Last week, I talked about um, I didn't have my Christmas lights up. And um, on Thursday, after Thanksgiving, all the neighborhood, they put all their Christmas lights up. They all just started shining, and mine weren't up. And I just have to be honest with you, I hate Christmas lights. I despise it. <laughs> I, I mean, roofs are made to live under, not to walk on, on top of. And, uh, and I'm really... I, I'm, I'm kind of a, a really particular in straight lines. And so I, I do fences and when I do fences, you know, I make sure that my, my fence posts are straight with a, with a string. And then when I stretch it, I get the tractor and I fence it really tight so it's just as straight as an arrow. And Christmas lights don't work that way. You put them on the end and then you start to straighten them up and they, they all break. And, uh, I, I despise them. My wife loves them. And every year, it's time for the Christmas lights. The neighbors have their Christmas lights up. We don't have our Christmas lights up. And I'm like, oh, for 25 years. I've done it 25 times. I've been married for 25 years. So it's it's not the easiest thing. But this year was a different year because we're going to switch the lights. For 25 years, I've used icicle lights. And I finally got enough brains to say, icicle lights just, just tangle into a mess. And they're just a big old mob mess. And maybe that's the issue of why I don't like Christmas lights so much. So I said, we're going to change it up. We're going to do the bigger bulbs. And we're going to take all those icicle lights and we're going to throw them away. And then we're going to put the bigger bulbs up. And uh, my wife says, that's fine. We'll, we'll accept that. So I went on a mission, you know, last weekend because I'm a good husband. I need to lay down my life for my wife. So I went to Fred Meyer. I don't like to go to Fred Meyer in the middle of, of Christmas season because it's absolutely busy. And I look at the lights and they cost a fortune. So I do what everybody else does. I pull out my phone and I start searching to see if they're cheaper somewhere else. And they were cheaper somewhere else. I saw them at Hobby Lobby. So I left Fred Meyer and then I went to Hobby Lobby. But they didn't have enough. So I bought seven boxes at Hobby Lobby. And then I had to go back to Fred Meyer again. And then buy more boxes in Fred Meyer. And I got through the store, believe it or not. And what did I do? I went to put my Christmas lights up. And uh, I put them up. But I didn't have enough. So sure enough, I had to go back into Fred Meyer again. So I then left my place and I went back into Fred Meyer and I picked up more boxes and then I came back home and, and I opened the boxes and then I put them up. And, um, and we're very basic people. In other words, we like white lights. Just, you know, white. We don't get into the colors and just, just white lights. And, and so I turn them on and as I turn them on, did you know that white doesn't necessarily mean white? There's, there's, there's warm light, white, and there's also um, cold white. And this is warm white. I know now what warm white looks like. But there is a cold white, and it's completely different. And the differences were all across my, my house. 
with the price being the price, I'm like, well, I'm going to take them back. I don't care if they're up there or not. So I pull half of them off, and I put them all in my front room because i got to make the boxes look perfect as if they've never been on a house before. So I put the boxes and make sure that all the lights are perfectly wrapped inside these boxes um, so I can take them back to the store and make it look like that I didn't open them all and put them on my house. And, and so I did that an entire afternoon and, and made them um, look perfect. And then I went into Hobby Lobby, and of course, it's just as busy as can be, and there's only two lines, two long lines. And, and I look at the long lines, and I say, oh boy, which one do I pick? And so I say, I'll pick the one on the right. And, and I have all the lights because I'm tough. I don't need a bag, you know, <laughs> or a cart to, to carry all the lights. So I have them in my arms waiting in this line, and I think it took like 25 minutes before I got to the front of the line. And when I got there, I'm like, I put them all on the counter. I says, all right, I'm just going to take these lights back and... And she says, oh, we don't return in this line. We return in that line. <laughs> and I said, well, I've been here for 29 minutes. Might have asked a question. How would I know something like that? She says, oh, there's a big sign right up there, stupid, that says, <laughs> you know, return in this line. I'm like, oh, okay, so it's my fault. So then, sure enough, I grab all my boxes, and then I go back into the other line, and I start waiting in this other line with all my boxes still in my hand. And, and I don't know if you've ever been to Hobby Lobby or not, but they sell grass by the strand. I mean, I mean, it's all right to buy grass, but you buy it as a bulk. But they have all these little tiny strands of, of, of grass, and you buy them individually. And I had uh, one lady in front of me that had the bulk, taking them back individually, and I'm like about ready to pass out with all the boxes that I'm carrying, and saying, you know, we need to hurry up a little bit. But anyway, I walked out of a Hobby Lobby with some Hobby Lobby issues and say, I'm not going to go back to that story anymore. But that's, that's all right because I was going to get these lights done. But I was going to take a break for a couple days because I needed to prepare a sermon. I, I need to be, you know, have a good attitude when I prepare a sermon. So I took a break for a couple days and then I said, all right, I'll finish and complete the job. I went to Hobby Lobby, or I went to Fred Meyer. They're all out of lights. I went to Home Depot, they're all out of lights. I went everywhere in town. There is no lights in town of the ones that I wanted. Sure enough, I went back to my house on Saturday, which was yesterday, and I went to my attic. I pulled out all those icicle lights, and I put all my icicle lights <laughs> back up on the house. And this afternoon, I'm going to take the other ones that haven't taken back. I'm going to put them on my floor, and I'm going to wrap them perfectly Take them back to Fred Meyer. So don't go to Fred Meyer. Be deceived that those lights are out there because they've been on the house before. So you might want to keep an option with that. But oh, lay down your life like Christ laid down his life for the church. I mean, there's, it's, there's just, there's, it's not as easy sometimes. My wife says, you're doing such a good job. You're doing, it's taken me a week to get those lights done. Philippians 2, 3 says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only out for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is exactly what submit means. I'm looking out for your interests, not my interests, but your interests rather than mine. And then that gives the ultimate picture of submission by going right to Jesus. Your attitude should just look as the same of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, 
taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The first instructions of this household code is to literally bring a living Jesus in your home. And the picture of that is a relationship between husband and wife. I will lay down my life so that person could live. That's a first structure if you're going to look at a home Got to put Jesus in there and put it in there as in a sense that that he is alive in you and you are displaying him and showing them as your children are observing that piece. Number two, the next instruction of the household code, young children, obey your parents. This is addressing children who are young, not children who are adults and do not no longer live in a home. Um, Young people are supposed to do what? Ephesians 5, 21, children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, this is a, a loaded statement. I even want to look at the loaded statement that is mentioned. The first thing you hear the word children, meaning that Paul is addressing children that are in the room as he is speaking. He's not speaking through the parent to the children. He is saying, there's children in this room, and I want the challenge to be as children that are in this room right now. Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents. What does obey mean? Obey means to listen, be responsive. It's not like submit because there's some compliance that is, is, is to it. Well, why would you be compliant? Why would you obey? And the reason why, children, that we would need to obey is, is that uh, parents have already gone through it. They have more experience. They've made more mistakes. They see the, the large picture. Um, their heart is for you and wants you to succeed, wants you to make it. They've gone through more failures than you have ever gone before. They have more understanding than what is taking place in your life. So you can lean on that, children. As your parents are instructing you to do something, it's an instruction out of love to make you stronger. This is the statement that is there. But the way that God writes the Bible through men is he wants to make sure everybody's taken care of as well. So the other piece that he says in here is, children, obey your parents He uses the same, in the Lord. Because when you hear this word obey, it's an aggressive word. It means respond to directive. I mean, you're responding to directive. Well, what if the directives are are completely unbiblical, completely wrong? See, what happens is that we're living in a world right now where children are, are abused, and children have even been told things that are not supposed to be told to do things that are not even supposed to be told to do. And uh, a lot of parents even growing up right now, a lot of adults are growing up with parent issues in those things. Um, as Paul's writing this passage, he makes a statement, children, obey your parents. This is what you're supposed to do, but do it in the Lord. So those who are adults right now looking back and saying, the church told me to obey my parents, there's a calmer statement that says, yes, you are to obey your parents as they're living for the Lord. So we can look at that now and recognize the areas that they did not possibly obey in regards to abuse, in regards to whatever situation you've been walked into whatsoever, and say, I can let that go because they didn't make mistakes. There's no parents are exactly perfect. And then he uses the words, for this is right. Letter A. Another challenge is given in the household code. All children, this is not young children, all children, honor your parents. 
Honor is to esteem, to fix value to, to revere. The root word is precious. So you're cherishing, you're considering, you're helping, you're being kind, you're forgiving. When you look at this household code, the God is writing this for um, your entire life. And uh, there's a time that um, that parents will be dependent even on their children, on their kids. And that's just how the, the structure works. I had a birthday a couple weeks ago, and, and my mom suffers from dementia. And uh, she ended up calling me uh, 35 times on my birthday. And as she called me 35 times, if I didn't answer the phone every time, she, she just left a message. And, um, and uh, yesterday, my wife and I just listened to every single message. I didn't listen to all of them. listened to every single message of her voice ringing out. Hey, I don't know if I wish you a happy birthday yet or not. I just want to tell you happy birthday, tell you I love you. And, and as you're, you're looking at this, my, my mom um, does not call me um, anymore because she had dementia. She used to be right on top of calling me once a week. But she doesn't call me anymore because she doesn't know if she did or not. So she just doesn't. But yet she knows my birthday, and she knew it was my birthday, and she just couldn't stop calling me. So she's trying as hard as she possibly can to take care of the situation. And what we're supposed to do as, as children, we're supposed to have that honor to see what our parents have done for us and how our parents even feel about us even as of right now. It's instructing all people to honor their parents. Well, you might look back and say, well, there's a lot of different anger things that I have towards my parents because what they did was unjust. When it says honor your parents, it's saying forgive them. It's saying release them from that past. Change the roles. You're no longer living in their house, but change the roles in a sense of, yes, they made mistakes, but we've got to get connected again. We've got to get united again. This is important. This is an instruction for every single child to observe their parents and say, honor is going to take place just as a result of that position that has been given. Ephesians 5, 21, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life. A grudge or unforgiveness never goes well with you. In fact, it stays inside of you, it eats you, and then it comes out again in your relationship. Release that. And according to this passage, things will go well means you will be a better husband. You will be a better wife to your mate as a result of looking back, releasing your parents, forgiving them, and giving them that honor because of that position. Then it moves into parents. This is what parents are supposed to do. And, and uh, there's three different commands, exasperate, train, and then instruct. And I put exasperate with train because it's the negative command, do not do this. And uh, it sticks very closely with train and instruct. So number four, parents, don't exasperate. Train your children. Exasperate means provoke a child to anger. And a lot of the translations even say provoke a child to anger. Ephesians 5, these are just kind of the explanations of the definitions of the words as we're walking through this passage. Fathers, do not exasperate means provoke your child to anger. Instead, bring them up. What does bring them up mean? It means to nourish up to maturity. In the training. What does training mean? Make strong. Make healthy. And then the statement of in the Lord. Of the Lord. So if you look at this, it's almost a description of a a coach. 
Here you have an, an athlete that is your responsibility. And what you want him to do or what you want her to do is you want her to walk out into the field or you want them to walk out on the court and you want them to be strong. You want them to be powerful. You want them to be effective. You want them to be um, uh, uh, have influence, not be influenced. You want them to make a statement to this world rather than be swallowed specifically by this world. So what does a coach do? If you look at these concepts, it's you nourish them. You say, you need to eat correctly. You need to put good things inside of your system so you can, you can be strong. And then it says training. You need to work out. You need to be emotionally strong. You need to be ethically strong. And, and then when you look at the other words, be healthy, what are you supposed to do? Is when you walk in the field, you need to be alive, healthy, ready to go. So if you look at raising your children, is you have one goal in mind. That they walk out, I would say this goal, loving God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and ready to specifically conquer the world. And that is the mission of a parent. So if you're going to do that, how should we do it? And, and uh, a lot of these um, statements are um, things that I did. And you can say, well, I don't know if that's an area in regards to training. But if you disagree with the areas... Still hang on to that word training because that is the scripture. This is how I interpret the word training. A, raise your child's character, not their behavior. Behavior is what we see. Behavior is what we respond to. And we can easily provoke our children to anger if behavior is the only thing that you deal with. And you look at a perfect family, and I'm not saying there's ever a perfect family. There's not a perfect family in this world. But if you look at a, a, a perfect family, there's something that that perfect family um, does, not, does not have. And do you know what that is? They don't have any rules. <laughs> a perfect family doesn't have any rules. Now, you're probably thinking, are you trying to tell us not to have any rules? No, I'm just telling you what a perfect family has. They don't have any rules. What do you mean they don't have any rules? Every single child that is inside, say, a perfect family just takes responsibility. They just take complete and an entire responsibility. They don't beat their siblings. They don't beat their brothers. They don't beat their sisters. They just, I've got to be responsible. This is what a perfect family looks like. Is that you don't need to make instructions and make rules and all those things because what did you do? You worked on their character. You worked on the inside of them where they have a heart that is loving, a heart that is secure, a heart that is encouraged, a heart that is confident. And if you change the heart rather than the hand, all of a sudden you're not going to need to even try to fix the hand. Why? Because the heart is what's connected with the hand. But is the hand is what we, is what we see. So when we're looking at our children, the way that we do it is say, I've got to train that heart. Not the behavior. I'm not going to try to make my child look a certain way because then we just turn into a controlling person. And as all we do is control. This is wrong. This is wrong. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And exasperation takes place. When you look to the heart say, this is a heart that I want to train. This is a heart that I want to go after. This is the heart that I want to make. Number one off of this A, this comment A, how do you do that? How do you train a heart? Base your rules with the focus of training your child rather than controlling them. Behavior is all under control and, and is, 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 is an act of controlling. The heart is an act of loving. Going after the heart is the act of loving. Now, a child does need rules. They need that shelter that takes place, but make the rules as minimal as you possibly can. My wife and I, 
we said, we've got two rules in our family. We're just going to give our kids two rules. And this is even through childhood. All the way up, you have two rules, and the kids knew the two rules. And the reason why we only gave them two rules is because we knew that if we gave them three, they, they probably wouldn't listen to the two. And if we gave them four, then they wouldn't listen to even more as they were taking place. So we just made two rules, and the two rules were, number one, never lie to us. Ever, 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 ever lie to us. And number two was always talk to us. You never need to tell a child they did something wrong. All you need to say is, you need to go to your room. <laughs> that's all you need. That's all you need to say because they know that they have done something wrong. So when you say you need to go to your room, what happens? The child then goes to the room. The child exactly knows what he did wrong, and then you walk in the door and says, "You know the rules." And then all of a sudden they go, "Yes, we do. This is what we did." And there's a conversation that took that takes place in regards to setting those two rules. And do you know what takes place in regards to setting those two rules? Is that what they did is now talked about. Rather than saying, I did it, I shouldn't have done it, and now I don't even have to deal with it. Because that's raising the child's behavior. But you got the two rules, always talk to us, and always tell the truth. What happens is the child all of a sudden comes close to you. And when the child comes close to you, what are you doing? You're training them. (laughs) You're training them to literally walk through life. Why did you go to your room? Well, it's because I hit my sister. You know, let's, let's talk about this. And let's, let's, let's work on this piece of it. And then all of a sudden you have this conversation of why we don't. And does discipline take place? Absolutely discipline takes place. I'm not removing discipline, but I want my child right here before discipline ever takes place. And what happens is if we exasperate, make all the rules in our child, I'm not there when we're disciplining or when we're walking with our children. And you want your child right there. So those are just the two that we made up is no lying to us. Always talk to us, and it's it's worked all the way through growing up, and even in going into um, even the teen years, because we just go after them. Says, "Oh, you got to talk to us. You got to talk to us." And they know not to lie to us, and and uh, and they want to talk to you. And surprisingly enough, our children want to please us. They want us to be happy with them. They want that conversation to take place. The process of training is walking through life with them, and as you're walking through life with them, of course you've got rules, but they're not called necessarily rules except the two, and then you bring them in and then you start discussing what is taking place there. Another two um, um, off that, that point A of going after their character is be an offensive parent, not a defensive one. And what does an offensive parent mean rather than a defensive? That's kind of, a, that's a sport, i just let you know, offense and defense. This is what an offensive parent would look like. 75% of your comments that come out of your mouth are are positive and 25% would be negative and you can just make it up. But what happens is that when we see everything that is going wrong, the negative comes out. What is the negative? Do not, 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 do not. And what are you doing? You're exasperating your children. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to make them strong and we're supposed to make them alive and we're supposed to send them out. Well, what is going to make them alive? What is going to send them out? What is going to make them strong? Positive. Positive is going to make them strong. You are absolutely amazing. I love the way that you love people. I love the way that you care about people. I love the way that you relate with people. I love the way that you're always telling us, having integrity with us. All of a sudden, there's 75% more positive that's coming out. And believe it or not, that is what makes our children. The positive. Why? Because if you want to succeed, children will travel to success. 
And they will run from unsuccess. And if negative consistently comes out, they'll go, oh boy, I'm just a mess. And they'll get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. If positive compliments consistently come out, then they will aspire to go that direction because children want to be strong. They want to make it through the life too. They want to walk out of the family and move into the world with extreme, extreme strength. This is biblical in a sense that you have the Old Testament law. And inside the Old Testament law, what do you have? You have the statements of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, you know, thou shalt not. It's a consistent thou shalt not. And we all know that the law didn't work. And when Jesus came, he gave two commandments. It says, if you want to complete the entire law, this is what you should do. And he changed the thou shalt not. And he did what? Thou shalt. And what's the two commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love others. But it's an offensive statement. What aspiring us into a direction. And as we're looking at aspiring our kids into a direction to make it through life, there's got to be more positive than even negative that comes out. Now, a lot of times you're going to have to just bite your tongue because a lot of negative does come out. But as a negative comes out, weigh it. How much positive do I give to a negative? Because they will aspire to positive um, uh, comments. In fact, I have a, a book in my office that I'll never, I um, will never get rid of, and and uh, this might offend people, but it's it's a book that I use on on raising kids. It's called Just Say Good Dog. <laughs> it's a and it's about training dogs. Is that you literally just, just say good dogs? Why? Because the dog wants to aspire to please you. The dog wants to aspire and will follow that direction to please you. Yes, discipline takes place. But when you say good dog, ah, oh, I want success other than, than, than the pullbacks. You want that training to take place. It moves from a different word from training and it goes into a word called instruct, which would be number five. Parents, do not exasperate again, provoke your children to anger, but instead instruct and then also teach. Teach your children how to be strong. Whenever I, um, I took my children to church when they're kids, uh, I'm sorry, not to church, but to, uh, um, to school um, every day. And uh, as we went to school, I prayed for them every day. And, and as I prayed for them, um, it was a prayer, and I, I was very adamant, not adamant, but very you know focused on what um, I was going to pray for my children. And I prayed it pretty consistently, is God help my daughters today to open their eyes and see the child, that, see their friends, their, sit, their kids that are sitting by themselves, and give them enough strength and enough power to go sit by that kid. Help them to see the ones that aren't particularly loved in school and help a relationship to take place with my daughters and that child. Give them divine opportunities where they can have conversations to make an impact on the school today. It's almost like you're sending them out into the battlefield. And as these prayers are taking place, I meant them because I want to change the school specifically through them. But they also heard it. And they listen to, okay, I'm going into this and dad is right behind me and he's putting God right behind me too. I'm now walking even onto a mission field every single day when I took him to school. This was the direction. It was moving forward. It was going forward. Just those are simple statements of, of teach, of instruct. Teach them how to love. Teach them how to give. Teach them how to be kind. Teach them how to care. Instruct. Ephesians 5.21. Fathers, do not exasperate, provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the Lord in training and instruction of the Lord. 
Now this is um, uh, much further, more information than, than, uh, than I have time for here. And I will say that this week I put it on the calendar. On March 12th, we're going to do a parenting uh, seminar that is going to take place that would unfold all of these. But as we're looking at these, there's different stages in a child's life um, that we respond differently. In fact, infants, there's a bonding stage that takes place. And toddlers is an exploration stage that takes place. I just remember when my kids would just open up the counters and pull all the the plates and the tubware out, and they did that consistently. My wife just let it happen. I'm like, why do we just let it happen? It's well because they're going to do it again. I was like, well, we, we could put a, a lock on it. Well, they're occupied, and and they just always had to explore in this process. And and then preschool is a, a testing stage, so you're definitely going to be tested there. And elementary school is an accepting stage. Um, am I okay? Am I loved? Do I have friends? Do I fit in? That's what a child is going through. And teenagers is an identity stage. Um, who am I and who am I going to be? And am I good enough? And these are stages that children go through. So I just picked three of the stages to just make fast mention of. Number A is a baby stage is teach them how to love by giving the kids physical touch. The only way love can be educated, can be taught, is if somebody is loved. And when a baby is in your arms, you're making that statement, you are, I am here. You are protected. You are important. You are loved. You are honored. I'm going to take care of you. The world is not going to, is going to come after you. It's important. Just small stuff. Make sure that physical touch is there as babies do long for that. The child stage, which is kind of put in more of the toddlers and preschools and the elementary stage, is Teach them what a healthy, uh, teach them what is healthy by giving them boundaries. The Bible believes in discipline, so I definitely say discipline is there. And what is discipline? Discipline is boundaries. In other words, you need to make sure you don't cross this line because if you do cross this line, what's going to take place is it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for you. So as we're raising kids, you want to put boundaries and let the kids know what the boundaries are to make sure that they don't cross the line. And, and children are starving for that, believe it or not. I worked at a, an institution for 10 years yeah, where we had the roughest criminals, young kids, not young kids, 12 through 18 criminals um, um, in Oregon. And as I worked with them, um, I talked with them on a consistent basis. And one thing that they would happen is that they would get paroled or they would get out and then they would come back. They would get locked up again. They would just commit another crime. And I asked them, why did you commit another crime? I said, in here there's no freedom. You have to ask to go to the bathroom. Everything is scheduled. You have to eat when you're supposed to eat. You get to go to the gym at certain times. You have no freedom in here. Here you are and walked out of this world with complete freedom. Why in the world would you come back? And one of the guys said, that's why we come back. is because we can't manage freedom. We need, we need boundaries. Because as soon as we have freedom, what takes place? We don't have anything comforting us. We don't have anything protecting us. We don't have any meals that are even on the table. We, we have to survive. And as soon as we start to survive, we do it the only way we know how. And we start lashing out. He says, oh, many people say, I'll never leave prison. Why? Because I want the boundaries because they bring this protection. They bring this security. Children are starving for boundaries. Why? Because it's a statement of love to say, I am being sheltered instead of crossing a line going into the battlefield. 
when I shouldn't be in the battlefield because I know I get hurt in the battlefield. Thank you, parents, for pulling me back and giving me that specific direction. So I say, yeah, there should be no rules. Um, there shouldn't be any rules in the sense of what are we going to give our kids. But there should be lots of boundaries. And there should be discipline in the process of crossing the boundaries according to the Bible in regards to making sure that our children know the right way to walk and know the right decisions to make. Then let us see, adolescent stage, teach them responsibility by giving them wings. This is the um, most difficult stage that parents would say is that adolescent stage is, is very, very um, difficult. And if you look at teenagers, it's the identity stage that they are then walking into. And when you're looking at the raising teenagers, a lot of people go, what do we do? How do we do this? Um, the largest focus that should be there is they want wings. I want to give them to them. In fact, when they're moving into adolescence, they're thinking, I've got to train them to even spread their wings out. People would ask the question, well, how early do you train them to spread their wings out? And the comment that I would come up with is, as early as you possibly can. <laughs> as early as they will allow you to give to them. So say you have a child that's, that's 10 years old, and you're focused on wings. In other words, you look at the child and says, you know what? I want you to be strong. I want you to be successful in this world. I want you to fly. I want you to, to be out there loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I want to give you all those resources in the process. So let's start now. You're 10 years old. You can go to bed whenever you want. And they're like, really? Oh, my goodness. I said, yeah, you can go to bed whenever you want. But remember how it works. You've got to be responsible. You've got to wake up in the morning, you know, in a good attitude. And you've got to go to school. And you've you got to keep your grades up. And you have to keep these things going in the process of this wonderful rule. You have all authority, go to bed whenever you want. Child's like, oh, great. And then he stays up till 1130, 10 years old. Oh, that's so bad. How would you let a child do that? Well, then all of a sudden they wake up in the morning. What are they? They're happy. Why? Because they got, a, they got their own rules. They got wings. They go to bed whenever they want. And, and so they get up right on time. They go to school and they have a school grades perfect. And, and then they come back for the next night and they go to bed at 1130 again. And then all of a sudden, they don't get up. And then what do you do? You walk there and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You've got wings, buddy. Don't make me control you. Don't make me put all these rules on you. You're 10 years old. And, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll try to aspire to these wings. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, maybe I should go to bed a little earlier. And they start making these decisions in the process of getting ready, ready to, to fly. What has taken place in... Many families is that you have the, the, the teaching of wings is not there. And what happens is that the rules, 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 can't, 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 until you're 18, and then all of a sudden they're just thrown off the cliff and they don't know how to fly. What I would say is that I would say encourage people to let them fly as long as you can in the process that you'll be able to catch them, in the process that you'll be able to train them, in the process of being able to instruct them. As you can do this, I know you're not capable yet, but you can do this, but let's play around with it a little bit. And then you got the conversations, responsibility, responsibility, responsibility in the process um, of raising kids. Because again, it's all about responsibility, not even about I will do it because I'm supposed to do it, but it's about responsibility. Number six, raising kids is really tough. 
but it's one of the most important things you do on this side of heaven. People walk in the doors and say, well, everybody else is raising kids and they're just having a great time doing it. I do not understand the oppression, the depression, the difficult, the work, the, the frustration, the anger, everything that takes place. Am I the only one out here? Well, this is, this is the words about everybody. It's raising kids is the toughest thing you'll probably ever do. Toughest thing you'll, you'll ever do. It's difficult because you're on 24-7. And, and I think, well, as soon as I get my kids graduate, then I can graduate. Then I'd be done. My wife and I talked a couple weeks ago, and she, we said, we more, worry more about our kids right now being 17 and 20 than we have ever had in the past. It doesn't leave us. It's tough all the way through our lives. But the responsibility and the goodness behind it is, is healthy, is really healthy. Just be adamant when you take upon that task. We have a God that makes a statement that he loves us. A statement of, I will lay down my life so that person could live. That's a statement of a family. Husband, wife, lay down your life so they can live. And as we're parents, we're laying down our lives to make our children live as well. We have the ultimate example found in Jesus Christ. And when we look at the example, we can understand exactly what is required us in this process. And when we look at this example and we see it, we can celebrate also this example. And that's what God, God wants us to do. He wants us to celebrate what he has specifically done for us. We're going to do that right now in regards to communion. This is my body. This is my blood. I lay down my life so you can live. Now this is your responsibility. Lay down your life so everybody around you can live. God, we just thank you so much for the bread and for the cup. It's a representation, God, of our salvation. God, our salvation does not cost us anything, but it costs you your life. It costs you the weight of my sin being placed on your shoulders. It costs you, God, even going to the grave, giving it entirely up, God, for us. Today we want to reflect on that, God, as we drink the bread, eat the bread, and drink the cup. Just pray it will be a time, God, where we see you clearly on what you have done. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.